Welcome. This is Us Without Them, a podcast about me without you. And we're here to talk about a band that has had a, a major influence on all of us, and we trust many of you listening. Uh, this is a group that that formed at the beginning of the 21st century, uh, decided to call it quits after a couple of decades. And as we're getting this show started, they're still trying to quit and they haven't <laughs> quite done it yet. So we decided to start this show uh, as as Me Without You are on their way out of the world as a, as a band. Uh, we decided to, to keep the party going by by spending some time talking about their music and why it's been so impactful for us personally, but how it maybe means something to you too, uh, as, as a listener to their music. So there's three of us who are going to be on the show all the time, and we hope to bring in some other guests as time goes by. Uh, but my name is Steven Eiler. Um, we also have, uh, Nick and Joel, if you guys want to introduce yourselves. Hey guys. Uh, Thank you, Stephen. Uh, my name is Nick Hool. I'll be kind of running point from an editing perspective, um, interacting with folks online, and um, just kind of being the everyman here in the group. I don't have as much background as Joel and Stephen, and I'm sure they'll be talking about that in a moment here, but very excited uh, to talk about kind of the pop culture influence on how we as fans engage with it on a personal level, as well as the community. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, unique community uh, of fans who follow this band. And I'm uh, just so absolutely excited to be on this journey with y'all. And I am Joel Harrison. Um, also, you know, huge fan of the band, been following them since close to the beginning, uh, 2003-ish, I would say. I also have a PhD in religion, which is part of the, uh, the other reason why I'm here. I study philosophy of religion, the relationship between religion and culture. I'm writing a book right now on uh, tooth and nail and, and Christian punk music, underground music in general, and the impact that that had on the political formation of uh, millennials and younger Gen Xers and, and so forth. And been working on that for about a year. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm delaying that process even more by starting this podcast with you all. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to be here, excited to, um, talk about some of the more philosophical, uh, elements that we find in the songs, but also just the music and just kind of, you know, geeking out uh, together about the band yeah. is so I'm really looking forward to that. Excellent. As I mentioned, my, my name's Steven Eiler and I come in at this show mostly from uh, a musical angle. I, um, I've got a master's degree in music composition. And so my background is as a songwriter, uh, as a composer, um, I'm a music educator. I'm partway through uh, a, a doctoral degree in, in education. So all the hours that we spend on this show are hours that I should be writing my dissertation. Um, <laughs> so here we are. Um, but I'm 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 really looking forward to getting into the the details of me without you's music. It's had such such an impact on me at an intuitive level, but I've never really spent the time to break it down and try to understand why it's so powerful. So I'm really looking forward to to setting aside some time to do that. And it's hard, it's hard to imagine. A, I mean, there's, there aren't very many other bands that deserve this amount of mm -hmm. attention. I feel like, you know, there's an effort. Yeah, right. There's so much to get into. Um, and I also just, you know, want to add uh, that I, you know, this is something that we've talked about 
as we've been preparing, you know, to, to do the podcast, um, how we all feel like we're really, what we want to do is contribute to the me without you cultural artifact, right? We're Mm -hmm. adding another layer where, um, you know, the band is done or almost done. Um, but you know, and now, we we continue the work in in a yeah. sense um you know not to <laughs> that makes it sound like you know i'm saying we're the like the continuation of the band but that's not what i mean um you know i i but i do think that that's where the fans come in right it's now uh you know we get to now be part of a continued part of that legacy pass on our love of the music and of the band and i just think that they're a, a really important cultural touchstone for underground music that doesn't i don't feel like gets that level of appreciation um Mm -hmm. but they absolutely should i totally agree they're they're one of those bands you know you hear stories of contemporary artists you know julian baker comes to mind telling Mm -hmm. folks hey i have that t-shirt when seeing me without you fan in the crowd like yeah they are your band's favorite band if your band likes Mm -hmm. hardcore punk or underground music at all and (laughs) How many bands can you name that were have been around for, well, it'll be 22 years now, um, uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a few months, that didn't go onto a major label, they didn't do things quote-unquote right in the music industry, but they did things with integrity. They did things mm-hmm. for them and for their fans, not for the record deals, not for right. fame. Right, yeah. and, what, and it's so interesting because that is sort of been yeah it's been their deal since the very beginning because you know i think most people know that tooth and nail the as a label themselves did not sign me without you because they thought that they had the next mxpx right (laughs) that's not why they signed them they signed them because they thought that they were just super cool um which they are and you know it was sort of um you know when i interviewed john dunn for my book who was the head of AR around that time um you know he referred to me without you as their street cred band right it was <laughs> it was like uh they took a flyer on this band that they just thought was really cool and they knew it was a huge risk and they did not expect at all for them to take off in the way um that they did so even from the label's perspective right they they, there wasn't that expectation of, oh, this is going to be this big breakthrough mm-hmm. band. And yet they achieved so much success in, in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's so much to be said for the like lived experience of, of going to see this group, which whenever you're listening may or may not still be an option for you, depending on whether <laughs> their farewell tour is still going on. Yeah. Yeah. However many years later, um, <laughs> but what we have, you know, as a primary source to talk about on this show, uh, are these seven records. This band put out seven albums, um, over the space of around, well, 16 years, I think is really the span mm-hmm. from right. 2002 to 2018. And those albums, each one generates its own musical lyrical universe that is worth spending some time on. Uh, and that's what we're going to do on the show. We're going to take a full season for each album uh, and break it down more or less one song per episode. But also, I think their their entire body of work is something that can be appreciated and enjoyed as a unified statement. Uh, it has an aesthetic mm-hmm. arc to it from beginning to end that is worth thinking about in the sequence that it came out. 
And so I hope in the show we can do we can do a little bit of like recreating the excitement of hearing each of their albums as it came out the first time and, and revisiting that moment, but also stepping back here at, at the end of the story and reflecting on how how this big picture of uh, of their work really fits together. I, I did. I counted this up earlier. If you if you back all seven albums up in, in a row, it lasts for four hours and 20 minutes. That's the total runtime. This is not counting singles or EPs or anything yep. else. I was trying to think, man, that, that's like that's a long time for for, you know, thinking about this as like one unified, like artistic statement. And th- then I thought about Richard Wagner, because who wouldn't at a time like this? And uh <laughs> And so I looked it up. I was just, I was just, you know, just search YouTube. And I was like, oh, so this summer, July 26, 2021, uh, there was a performer of the Meister Singer of Nuremberg that lasted four hours and 16 minutes. So human beings have a capacity, whatever you feel about Wagner, human beings have a capacity <laughs> to experience a single artistic statement at that length. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, you know, Nick, you're, you're a, a Tolkien fanatic and, yes. you know, <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up, not me. <laughs> people, uh, people watch the Lord of the Rings films at all. I mean, each of those, you know, uh, yeah. the extended editions are four hours apiece, but people watch those all three back to back in a 12 hour. At least right. once a year. I, yeah. I, I try to watch all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So like listening to all seven me without you records in one sitting, that's, that's easy. Like what? It's, it, it <laughs> is. It's jump change compared to the Tolkien reference. You're right. You're right. In fact, in preparation for this, I have done it at least twice where I said, all right, we're going to start with A to B life all the way to untitled and yep. not pausing. It's it's yeah. great background mm-hmm. music, but it's also great. Um, what can I say? It, it's it's perfect for any moment in my life. Uh, I find <laughs> it meditative. I can fall asleep to it. I can use it to pump myself up and, and energize for the day. Um, it takes me where it needs, where I need to take it, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 This is music you can live with for a long time. Exactly. That's that's been my experience. So maybe, Joel, you kind of alluded to this, but maybe it would be kind of fun now to talk about our early experiences with the band. You know, Joel, you mentioned you hit pretty much from the beginning. Um, What, like, kind of take us through your discovery of them. Sure. Well, so in 2003, I was 21. Um, I was in a band myself. I was, mostly just focused on my own music and listening to the stuff that I listened to in high school. <laughs> um, and it's kind of like as a 38 year old now, it's kind of, I've, I'm like kind of upset with myself, like looking back at that time, thinking that like I was done discovering new music at age 21, like how sad is <laughs> really, you yeah. know? Um, and, and I remember going and seeing that Tooth & Nail had signed a few new bands. One of them was May. The other was Me Without You. Um, and 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 another was uh, a band called Slow Coming Day that my band was playing with a lot at the time. And that's sort of what inspired me because I they got signed to Tooth & Nail. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. Who else has Tooth & Nail signed? I haven't really checked them out in like, a year or two years or something like that, which mm-hmm. feels like an eternity, right? When you're 21, when you're 21 that's like a yeah. decade. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I listened to me without you. And at first I, I wasn't immediately grabbed by it. I'll be honest. I, I wasn't, I was at the time much more into um, sort of late nineties, Midwest emo and pop mm-hmm. punk 
stuff and you know some some post hardcore stuff but i i liked singing more than i liked screaming at the time um and it wasn't really until i i well no i started to listen to them more and more it grew on me you know and then they really clicked in i think 2004 when i saw them live for the first time mm-hmm. um which I'll just tell that story real quick. So it was at the Troubadour in Hollywood, which is, um, if any any listeners are from the LA area, you know, the Troubadour is like the furthest venue uh, in in Hollywood. It's it's way, way, way on the west side. It's on the border of Beverly Hills. If you live in the eastern suburbs like I did, it can take you three hours to get there in traffic. It's, it's terrible. But wow. I dragged my... A friend of mine and my girlfriend at the time to see me without you. They were playing a one-off show at the end of a tour, I think with acceptance. Um, so it was like all local, crappy local openers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when when they started their set, they they just they started with that synth opening from A to B Life, mm-hmm. um, just for like it felt like 10 minutes. It was just going, 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 going. They slowly get on the stage. Um you know, Ricky starts playing the drum, uh, you know, that drum beat. Um, he's mesmerizing. Watching that man play drums is mesmerizing. Uh, and then, you know, Aaron walks out. And I noticed then, because the spotlight kind of went on him, that um, he had this big bouquet of flowers tied to his mic stand. Um And, you know, he starts kind of dancing around the stage in his Aaron way. We can all visualize it. Spinning, yeah. jumping, being right. a child. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, the 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 drums stop and you get that little, you know, kind of uh, reverberating synth sound. And then as soon as the drum, the snare hit, Aaron hit the mic stand and sent all the pedals from the bouquet into the crowd. And <laughs> I, I'd never seen anything like that before. It was... I, I mean, I was so energized and in awe by it that, like, I was frozen. And, mm-hmm. like, you would you would think that that would be a moment where, like, you'd go nuts and, you know, get in the pit and start going crazy. And I just, like, I, I was, like, dumbfounded by it. It was an amazing moment for me. Uh, I had never seen anything like it. And, yeah, so that after, from that moment on, I was like, I need to pay more attention to this band. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they just kind of sort of been in my rotation, you know. Uh, You know, I remember, like, you know, my friends and I were really into uh, Gentlemen, you know, a a few tracks from A to B Life were kind of standout tracks for us that we would put on mixes and and stuff. But, yeah, from that moment on, I was, like, sold. Like, this band has my full attention now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That, no, that's that's awesome and and beautiful to to hear because you are. I don't know if it was either of you, but I've heard multiple people say upon seeing me without you for the first time or the tenth time or whatever it was, <laughs> this is my favorite band because of yeah. that energy of it. Somehow feels like a a perfectly orchestrated event that you would expect from any other band. That's very polished, very professional, but it's not like they have a stage set up and a certain presence that they like to exude, but I don't think Aaron was expecting to hit the microphone and send pedals flying in exactly the way that it stuck with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. And I, I, I will say I have seen me without you more than any other band. That's um, awesome. 
I, I lived in Chicago from 2012 to 2019, and they were coming through Chicago. Like I've, at a certain point, like in the Pale Horses, like 10 Stories Pale Horses era right before Untitled, I felt like they were coming through at least twice a year. Um, and I, I feel like I saw them at least once a year that the entire time that I lived there, um, yeah. maybe even more than that. But I just, yeah, I saw them all the time. <laughs> um, and it was amazing every time. Yeah. Blown away every time, frozen every time. That's that's how I have felt. Unfortunately, yeah. I've only seen them twice. And Stephen, let let me it, let me jump in here just Please to kind do. of give the other <laughs> the other spectrum. So I've only seen them twice, and that I can blame on my age. So in two thousand three, I was twelve, <laughs> I believe. So yeah, um, showing kind of the span here of ages. But um, I got into them more around the. Catch Frost the Fox's brother-sister era, a little right before It's All Crazy came out, actually. And I came to them more from the indie side of things. So I mm. I spent a lot of my youth thinking I had discovered all the music I needed to with bands like The Shins or The Decemberists, uh, you know, bands that I, I still love today and I think have thematic similarities, especially with the latter half of Me Without Used discography. But uh, I found them and I said, wow, this is like the aggression. This is the emotion that I'm looking for, that I'm feeling. But it doesn't feel like angst for angst's sake. I, it, right. And I couldn't put my finger on it for a long time. But songs like, you know, Disaster Tourism or The Soviet really stuck with me as, as, a, as a young lad coming up, <laughs> getting into punk music more, you know. And then I go into more of the political side of things with punk. Um, like Anti-Flag was a big... I was a huge anti-flag fan for a while. Um, and yeah, only seeing them twice, it still feels like those are the best concerts I've been to. If not ever, they're ones that I remember better than ones. Maybe I enjoyed another concert more, but I don't remember it nearly as well. There, yeah. There's moments I still think back fondly on when I saw them on tour for Pale Horses. Aaron, for whatever reason, wearing a very thick sweater onto a warm stage <laughs> as he's wont to do, <laughs> flinging it off into Ricky's face in the middle of a really yeah. important drum fill and yep. not hearing the drum fill that I was excited for because of this hilarious, awesome moment. Yep. Like just perfect. Uh, like, yes. Cannot make that up. Who cares? It's all about the expression. It's all about the energy. It's not about a perfect performance. And I think that's, that's why every inch of this band is art to me. It, mm, all of yeah. it is it, it is pure human expression more than performance, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but but like you, Joel, I think I've seen this band more times than any other, you know, uh musical artist. I've certainly traveled the farthest. Nope, I take that back. I <laughs> I, I've traveled the second farthest from home to see them of any band I've, go. I've gone to see a show for, but still I've, I've traveled quite a bit. I've, you know, taken road trips and flown a couple of times to go see them. Mm. Uh, I live in Oklahoma and they, they usually would stop through somewhere uh, around here on tour. Um, but I first got into them uh, after A to B life came out. I wasn't tracking closely with like, I wasn't aware like when tooth and nail signed a new artist, but I was definitely listening to some music on that label. 
I was playing in a band. Um, we weren't like the crappy opening band for the people touring. We were the people who opened for the crappy local band, like when they were playing their own headlining show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to think how I probably was probably, I was 16, 17 or something in 2002. So I'm sort of in, in between uh, each of your mm-hmm. ages, I think. And um, so I was, I was shopping for music on the, you know, on the shelf at the Christian bookstore and, you know, there was like, there's a lot of things that I was not really into at all. And there was like a couple, I, I was never super into MXPX. Remember, they always had those records there. And I was looked at yep. the song titles and thought like, this is a funny fit. Like, why are they selling this here? <laughs> I was like, well, it's like, this is, I guess it's on tooth and nail. And then I just, I don't know what about it. I, I picked up uh, A to B Life and, and just looked at the cover. And it's just really like intricate artwork that didn't have like somebody's face plastered on it. And it was kind of hard mm-hmm. to tell what was going on. So it was intriguing, but it was mysterious. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I turned it over and kind of looked at the song titles and like, it was just a shot in the dark. I didn't know any, what I was getting into. Um, I'm like, all right, this looks cool. So I, you know, I bought it put it in the car and I remember, I remember driving across town. Like I can see where I was on the road as, you know, as that intro, uh, a bullet to binary kicked in and, and this man just started yelling at me. And like, I had been, you know, I'd just started to go to some like, like Christian hardcore shows uh, my freshman year of high school, a, uh, a friend of mine, um, who I later actually, I, I went to the Cornerstone Festival with him. And I guess we'll probably, I'm sure we'll talk about Cornerstone at some yeah. point in this show. Mm-hmm. But um, he invited me to to a couple gigs and, you know, it was in like a, a church gymnasium and the sound system was awful. <laughs> and there was like all the lights were on and there was still like 12 kids trying to mosh in the middle of the floor. And it was awkward. And like I tr- I tried like to jump into the middle of it and I got a couple elbows in the chest. I'm like, this isn't fun. I'm never doing this again. So I just like <laughs> went over and like stood by the wall and just just listened, you know, <laughs> quietly. Yeah. And uh, but it but it got me into the scene. And so I started going to quite a few of these hardcore shows. And to be honest, like there were things about the music that intrigued me. I liked like the like the intricacy of the guitar lines and the drumming, but like the really like low growly like monster vocals always just seemed silly to me. Like it didn't like it seemed like sort of intimidating in a really put on theatrical kind of a way. <laughs> and so given like some of the other stuff that I'd seen, especially like the solid state releases that, you know, from Tooth and Nail subsidiary, um, I had heard some of that music and it didn't really speak to me. And so when I just heard that kind of vaguely, to say a vaguely threatening aura, but like there's something, there's something, um, how would you describe the beginning of, of ominous? Ominous. Yeah, that's a better word. Yes. It's better than threatening. Vaguely ominous aura, and and I, you know, I hear that the the drums drop out that moment you described, yeah. like in that live show. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect, and and mm-hmm. and so when I was hit with this profoundly believable human voice, and not mm. somebody growling and not somebody like whining, which is the two things I was most used to hearing when I would pick up yeah. new records. I was just floored. And it's one of those things. So I just like, just, you know, just sat in my car after I pulled over and just had to keep listening. And just think, what is happening to me? Like what? And the words struck me as being so thoughtful and so intricate and so um, well put together that like this took craft. Like this isn't somebody just like, wearing their feelings and hoping that someone sympathizes with them. Like, 
like I'm I am experiencing poetry at full volume in a way that has never like happened to me before. And I've I've never been the same since. Like it's made me think about the way that I, I listen to music differently. Especially once he starts screaming that second verse in French. I, right. I was right? just going to How say how many people I'm were saying. like, what the f- yeah. <laughs> is happening yeah. here? Yep. What? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that opening track. By the way, yeah. once the season gets I going, know. that's going to be <laughs> woo. Yeah, but yeah. So I was I was in it from the beginning, but then every ever since, like every time records come out, I've made sure to listen to it on day one, and I can remember those experiences. Like I remember where I was. Like it's it's yes. It's, everyone is is like a sort of a like a new era in how I think about music. Is like. Every time they've come out with something, it's changed my imagination. Even though their music doesn't track with trends in popular music, Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. Like, what was I listening to around the time 10 Stories came out? Oh, okay. And like, that's my divining Mm -hmm. rod (laughs) for for other musical tendencies. Because they're a band, I think about music a lot in seasons. A lot of bands I only listen to when it gets colder or when it gets Mm -hmm. warmer. Me Without You is my all-of-the-time band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, There are a couple others that I can do that, but I usually get bored with them. I full steam ahead <laughs> with, yeah. with all of their music always. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it really does kind of provide this anchor for where you are. And I, I can remember, it's funny, my first memory of A to B Life, now because I got into them when they had already had three albums out, I can remember A to B Life was actually the third album that I got into of theirs. <laughs> and so that uh, my first experience was also in a car. Yeah. And it was on my iPod video, 80 gig <laughs> iPod video yeah. at my friends. And that's how I got into them. My my friends were like, hey, let's do a music exchange. And they gave me all to me without you. There was yeah. at the time. So it was just like this, even with only three albums and an EP and a single, that still felt like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through all of this and get it? <laughs> um, but then experiencing A to B life with my headphones in a car on a road trip up to Northern Michigan, I believe, just perfect time of year for it. And I, the, this man screaming at me really just, whoo, it, hit, it hits you. It hits you in a way that no other music can. But what's interesting, and I wanted to pick your brains about this, have you ever tried to get someone into me without you who just didn't really get it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had an experience of someone like just not getting it. When my wife and I first started dating, um, she also kind of is much more on the indie side of things like the very pretentious like she liked you know matador records touch and go like (laughs) all of these like very pretentious indie (laughs) indie bands yeah and she like one of the first things she said to me about my music was that it sounded immature (laughs) when i I, like sent her a mix of stuff that i was like into she's like sounds kind of immature um, but me without you was one of the bands that she was like, Oh, this is interesting. And, and she's not really into like screamy music yeah. too, too much, but, um, but yeah, no, she thought it was, uh, she thought it was interesting. So she's, she's, uh, you know, been kind enough to accompany me <laughs> to the many times that <laughs> yes. I, um, and one of our first dates actually was seeing, 
them with um, David Bazan um, when they were on tour in like 2010, I think it was. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think like, I don't, I, I haven't, I don't think I've, I've had that experience of, I think because like, if I suspect that a person will not be into it, I'm not, I'm just not going to bother. I feel like I've, I've reached a point. I I reached a point a a while ago. I don't even know when I reached this point, but where I kind of just stopped talking to people about the music that I listen to (laughs) unless, you know, and then, and then occasionally like you, you encounter someone who's like, Oh yeah, this band I really like. And they'll say the band and you're like, Oh, Oh wait. Oh, you're a person like me. You like (laughs) this kind of music too. Hey, let's talk, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm very curious now to hear these stories about trying yeah. to get people into me without you. Yeah. Uh Steve, what about you? Any any um hits or misses? <laughs> you know, I I'm usually pretty cautious about uh about telling people about stuff that I like because I just expect to be disappointed. Um but, yes. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> now now uh, we sound pretentious. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, I mean, I think most people that I had the sense that they might get into it, I they listened. I've actually I have a friend right now. I feel like he would be the perfect candidate to be a super fan for this band, and he's just never listened to them. I mentioned their name, like hoping he would pick up the clue. But I have this like funny idea that I might, as like a as a test case, every time we do a season, like make him listen to the album and write all of his thoughts down because he's never heard it before. And just like, okay, we have like a newbie here. Like, what is yeah. Yeah. What's what's the experience like right now? And then we can just bring him in, like just like quote, like here's here's where he was confused on this one. So that's uh, not a bad idea. I actually yeah. like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but I my uh my wife uh in her background, she's a, a, a classically trained pianist and an opera singer. Mm. And um, so this is not her scene at all, like when it comes to music. <laughs> but she was very kind. She went she went to one show with me. And I feel bad because it was in a, it was a tiny venue and the sound was not good. And so like, it was, it was not the ideal experience. Cause like that their, their live shows are such an expansive, like force of energy, but they were all kind of cramped on stage and there wasn't a lot of room for people to move around in the house. Mm-hmm. And, but I was glad she went with me once, but no, she doesn't, she doesn't listen to them and she's very happy that I'm, happy about them and that's about all that's oh that's that's good. that's nice that's nice yeah. yeah and i was lucky that one of the two times i've seen them was on the a to b life 10 year anniversary yeah Is that, yeah or no 15 15 that's right yeah. 15 math um yeah <laughs> uh, and that is the album that my wife happened to be in love with because she's she's a few years older than me and when that came out, that was when she was in high school. And so it was the perfect time for an album like that. She was dabbling with Christianity. So it made sense that they were a band that she was kind of hearing about. Um, and it, that one she knows, you know, front to cover pretty well um, and, and really loved. So interesting that that's not really her scene at all. She's more into hip hop and R and B and, and kind of funk and soul music from the seventies and sixties. Mm-hmm. But uh happened to really like this when she was in kind of her punk hardcore phase. So it was really great to be able to go see this band with this impactful album, you know, and be able to scream gentlemen along with your wife. <laughs> how fun is that? <laughs> no, we were just dating at the time, but still yeah. like, oh, how fun. How how mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. 
Well, should we talk about um, sort of what we think is going to happen (laughs) over the course of this? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, as we've been planning and talking about it, I mean, there has been this sort of like anticipation in a sense of, oh, you know, I wonder if this idea that I have now at the outset of the podcast is going to end up paying off when we get to you know, 10 stories or when we get to Pale yeah. Horses or when we get to the end, right? Um, and so, yeah, so I am I am curious to hear, uh, you know, what you guys think, you know, what, what are you most interested in discovering or thinking about sort of broadly speaking as we move forward um, with season one and throughout the whole podcast? I'll start because I think I have the least uh, to say. Um... maybe that's not true maybe i'll say a lot but things that i'm excited for are the things that have brought me to the band that is the emotional honesty yeah and sometimes that looks like lyrics that if sung by another artist or in another way would be quote-unquote problematic for example when Mm. it's something like aaron dealing with lust as a young man Sure. But he's he's grappling with those ideas in a way as a as a a young spiritual and religious person trying to find their way in the world mm-hmm. and not knowing what's right and, and the kind of this grappling with what am I supposed to do based on the teachings of the community I'm in, the scripture I'm reading, and my own emotional feelings. So I'm I'm really excited to kind of follow that trend, that trend line. And we've talked about this in our in our preparation, and it's something I'm really excited about, is kind of just this thematic flow from not really caring about yourself. Now, I'm focusing on that from a mental health perspective more so. Mm. I think we're going to talk about that from a theological and philosophical as well perspective, but then finding the self, kind of coming to the other end of the tunnel and finding the self, and that being something fulfilling rather than selfish. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And the self within the divine soup, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's a that's a big one for me. I'm also excited for for little things, you know, tracking things like vegetables and animals and mystical, sometimes absurd themes and seeing what that really does for us. Like, okay, you're talking about cookies and cakes here, man. What what yeah. am I supposed to get out of this? Oh, actually, quite a lot. <laughs> it just sure. takes a moment to kind of break into it. Yeah. Steve? I, I'm i a sucker for large-scale form. So I'm excited to think about these albums as cohesive units, to think about their whole career as one big expression. I've, I've mentioned that already. For me, to hold any sort of large-scale aesthetic form together, you have to have some kind of a touchstone, a point that you can hang on to. And so... What I'm what I'm interested in tracking, and I don't know how all this is going to turn out, is really just to use the name of the band as as a as a point of connection. It's a weird band name. We'll just, we should say that we're talking <laughs> about this group. Yes, you know, it's three words that are all crunched together in one word, and it's there's a lowercase letter at the beginning and an uppercase letter in the middle, and. <laughs> Maybe that's like profoundly meaningful. If you, it seems like when I've heard the band talk about it in interviews, they're like, oh, like we're just trying to like do something ridiculous and like over emotional sounding. Like they didn't, it doesn't seem like they put a lot of stock in naming the group when they were first right. started. Right. Um, 
But just because they didn't put a lot of stock into it then, I don't think that uh, negates the possibility of still using that as a as an interpretive lens to understand totally. what they're doing throughout. Um, and Absolutely. so I, I think just taking that name, Me Without You, and, and seeing all the shades of meaning that it can have mm. through all their songs is going to be a really interesting ride. And there's other characters. Yeah, please. One one spot there. So, talking about the band as they talk about themselves. So, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is Aaron's content. Mm -hmm. But we know that the band at times doesn't always align with where he's going. Mm -hmm. I don't want to turn this into a rumor mill or anything of that sort, but it is interesting to think of the band as a collective unit versus what Aaron does lyrically. And sure, how mm-hmm. sometimes that I won't call them opposing forces because they stayed together for mm-hmm. 20 years, 20 plus years is 16 of which they were releasing music. There, there's something really interesting there about, you know, I, I was reading um, all the clever words on pages and there's a, a great quote from Ricky saying, I just want to be in a rock band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that question of identity that we've kind of been hinting at, as a band, like how did they stay together when this question of identity and this very philosophical, heavy stuff coming out of their singer songwriter, right? Where does that lead us? Yeah. I remember. And I mean, I don't know if we have time for a lot of anecdotes on this first episode, we got lots of seasons to get through, (laughs) but um, as I can tell the story again later, if I need to, but I remember a show uh, in Oklahoma city and this would be because they were playing in OKC um, and I think it was around the 10 year anniversary of the Oklahoma city bombing. Mm. And Aaron was up on stage talking about that event had nothing to do with the songs, but like he's just there in town and this is what's on his mind. Um, and, uh, Aaron was, Aaron was talking about Timothy McVeigh and, and I don't remember anything specific that he said, but, but it was along the lines of like, you know, what he did was awful but what we as a country do to other people that inspired him to do what he did is also awful. And he was like trying to like open some perspective, which in the town where this event happened is maybe not like the savviest move socially. Um, yeah. But Aaron's good at that. Aaron's yeah. good at saying what needs to be said to who needs yeah. to hear it, even if they're not going to be receptive yep. to it. But yeah. as the story was unfolding, I could see Ricky behind him just getting more and more uncomfortable, like the longer he was talking. And mm-hmm. eventually he was like, you could see the nervous energy in his hands. And he just like launched into the next song and just cut him off. Like, it's just like, we're done with this. Like, we're here to play a show. And, you know, and that was the, that was the most extreme I've ever seen it. Yeah. Uh, and over time, I think Aaron has talked less and less between songs uh, at shows. Yeah. Yeah. But there does seem to be this interesting dynamic energy between between the group there to make music and Aaron there to say something. And like and and those forces are not always perfectly in sync with each other. And I think that's what part of make, what makes the band so exciting, actually. Yes. yes. Yeah. Through their turmoil, we are receiving much more interesting content. Yeah, in, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so, what I'm looking at, what I'm interested in, I mean, right now, I just, I, I'm, I'm very much in, interested in talking about the the music aspect of it and sort of getting a language for that. I think from Steve, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm what excited I to, <laughs> to hear about that. Um, yeah. And then sort of from the philosophical perspective, you know, I want to just be clear that 
I want to do my best to not just always be talking in heavy, jargony, philosophical, right? That's not really like what we're doing at the, you know, at the same time, I think that a lot of people that listen to me without you tend to be thoughtful, heady people, even if they're not trained in philosophy. Um, so I, 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 you know, um, I'm a community college professor, um, by day. That's my, you know, that's my job. Um, and so I'm, regularly explaining complicated ideas as simply as I possibly can. So I'm hoping that that skill set will translate well to the podcast uh, format. But what I'm, you know, one of the things, the concepts that I'm interested in, and this is, I think, very much related to what Steve was talking about with the name, is the question of existence, right, mm -hmm. in uh, across the catalog and um, what is the meaning of existence, right, for uh for Aaron, for the, you know, for the band, what, you know, what, and when I say for the band, I, I really, what I really mean is like, not what do they personally think? I, I don't think any of us have any illusion that like we're speaking for the band and, and hopefully, you know, all the listeners, I think are, are with us on this, that, you know, we're talking in, interpretively, like what mm -hmm. does the music, what is the package right as a whole sort of mm -hmm. say to us and it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly what the band intended or anything like, you know, we recognize that, I guess, you know, at the outset, I'm, I'm in terms of existence, I'm really interested in the relationship among God, human and world, right. That mm -hmm. sort of permeates the entire uh, discography and how does that play out? And, and is this a matter of just sort of a basic mysticism? Like I, you know, myself dissolves into the divine or is there something more complicated going on there? I'm really uh, always fascinated with um, the portrayal of human frailty in Aaron's lyrics. Um, and how does that frailty relate to divinity? Right. Um, or relate to the universe or the world. You know, I, I I see Aaron sort of situating himself and asking questions, right, about those kinds of relationships. And so, you know, I'm uh as someone who studies religion, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm interested in the in the religion questions. And I I have my PhDs in in the secular study of religion, but I also have a master's degree in theology. So I kind of do both. Um, yeah. Even though I, I teach academic, the academic study of religion, I also have theological background. So all those kinds of questions are sort of always floating around for me as I, um, you know, as I listen to me without you, I, I remember uh, 10 stories came out the year that I started my PhD program and I just like, I could not stop thinking about the lyrics on that record. Um, you know, uh, you know, Fox and the Log Flume, especially, and like all uh. these ideas about certainty. And, you know, if I say God doesn't exist, then he definitely exists. And, you know, all these kinds of, of questions are fascinating to me. So I'm really looking forward to diving into those. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, from a musical standpoint, um, I, th I actually think the, the band, you know, the whole group and the sounds that they're making on these records, I think we're going to find that they have a, a lot to do with that conversation. I know the lyrics yes. are the thing that's up front that really clarify those thoughts. Mm -hmm. But if, if Aaron Weiss 
had written seven little tiny books of poetry and published them over the last 16 years, we wouldn't be having a podcast right now. No. 100%. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. it I'd not so... thought of it that way. That's amazing. I love that. talking about the artistry of the rest of the musicians in the band is actually propping up what Aaron is doing, even if they don't always love every sentence, every stanza uh, of his poetry. That's, that's not the point at all. And yeah. so I, I, think, yeah. I totally agree. That's a fantastic way to put it. Yeah. Um, I've got, uh, I've got a, a quote that may be useful. Maybe we yeah. can use it, but um, this is, uh, this is from Ian McGilchrist in The Master and His Emissary. Um, this is a book about the brain, uh, about how the right and left hemispheres interact with each other. And um, he's he's invoking uh, Martin Buber, this older book called I and Thou. And it's interesting. Ian McGilchrist never mentions Martin Buber's name in The Master and His Emissary, but he uses these uh, I, it, I, thou complexes occasionally. And, and there's nowhere else that that's come from. <laughs> um, and... I don't know if we, uh, Joel, you're, you're the expert here. <laughs> do you want to explain anything about Martin Buber just for a second? Cause I, I think this is important because this may come up from time to time on the show. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I sorry mean, to put the, you on the no, spot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I mean, so kind of the, one of the basic ideas in this sort of Jewish existentialism, which is what, Buber is part of, right, is the recognition of the self in the other, right, in the thou, um, so that, you know, it's it's a way of, I mean, I think of I and thou as a way of sort of explaining our intersubjectivity with one another, right, the way that we are not islands, we don't, the I is never understood as this absolute autonomous uh, you know, individual or something like mm-hmm. that, but is always constructed in this, in these kinds of, uh, you know, I other relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I feel I, I'm, I'm succumbing to like the basic, uh, PhD thing of like feeling like I don't know enough about <laughs> a thing to really say anymore. And like being really worried that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get like a bunch of <laughs> tweets at me like you didn't oh. explain boober correctly <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> no, no, not no, me to put you on the spot <laughs> no but i think that that's um, i mean that's that's good enough i think to yeah, you know sure. that, that, that the i is always developed through your relationship to the other right mm-hmm. and yeah well that plays into using some other musical references you know there's a lot of people who write about mirrors and reflections mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the intricate you are only a thing this tree that I'm looking at out the window is only a thing because I'm perceiving it, but it's also there without my perception of it. So that, mm-hmm. that interconnectedness of all things, I, I think that makes total, total sense. But Stephen, I'd, I'd love to oh. hear this quote. 
Oh, sorry. That's a long setup of some <laughs> rabbit pit, uh, paths on the way there. Here, okay, here we go. Ian, Ian McGilchrist, uh, language's role in giving command over the world, particularly those parts that are not present spatially or temporally, a world that in the process is transformed from the I-thou world of music in the right hemisphere to the I-it world of words in the left hemisphere. Words alone can make concepts more stable and available to memory. So why, why that comes to mind right now? It's just, I think in listening to Me Without You's records, um, there's something that the music is doing to you that it's really hard to explain. And we're going to do our best to try to explain it on this show. Yes. Um, but the words hit you in a totally different way because it is precise. It has, you know, um, semantic meaning uh, as well as aesthetic form. And so we're going to get to live in that dynamic back and forth. I'm super excited. To, to this. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish we could get started this instant. This is yeah. going to be so much fun. <laughs> so much yeah. fun. Um, another thing we had talked about kind of presenting in this, maybe not in full, but in, in part, is kind of talking about um, our own we don't need to get into specifics, but our own kind of journeys with faith and spirituality mm-hmm. or, or lack thereof. Um, because I do think that sets a tone for how you're yes. engaging with this content, with the, with this music and these words. Yep. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about both of it. I find it fascinating talking about these things with anyone, especially in the context of listening to Aaron Weiss's fantastic music himself grappling with these things. He doesn't have a hard and fast theology that he's sticking with. In fact, it's changing seemingly daily. If you listen to recent interviews with him. And I think that's so cool. I think that's so nice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I can start. Uh, So, you know, for me, personally, I did, I grew up in an evangelical environment. Um, but like my parents were never that conservative or, or like strict with me or, or my brothers. Uh, you know, we were pretty much allowed to listen to whatever music we wanted to, and we did. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, you know, I I feel like I listened to the Christian underground stuff mostly because I just I liked it. I thought that it was good. I didn't I don't really remember feeling like oh yes, I'm being so fed spiritually by this music. Um I mean maybe to a certain extent a little bit. Um but but yeah, and so uh I think for me my relationship with religion is uh is complicated is probably the best way yeah. to put it. I mean, you know, I'm a trained theologian, but also a secular religious studies scholar. Um, I kind of have my foot in both worlds. You know, a lot of my uh, my extended family are still Christians, uh, you know, and and my immediate family, too. I mean, my wife and I send our daughter to a Christian preschool. Mm -hmm. You know, we we both feel like we want her to kind of to grow up in that. Um, But at the same time, like I am also you know, I, I am concerned sometimes about 
or why worry about the kinds of things that she's maybe learning uh, at the Christian preschool. Like, I, I don't want it, you know, th- thankfully it's like a, a main line. It's not an evangelical yeah. uh, church that it's at, but, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm conflicted often about religion. Um, I like the relationships. I, I like hanging out with people and I like talking about this, um, this stuff, but I absolutely, uh, can't stand uh, much of the politics, not just like, um, you know, American politics, but just the politics of church in general uh, right. just drive me absolutely insane. I hate it. Um, and uh, that that makes it really hard. Um, I think, you know, when I <laughs> was getting my PhD in Chicago, my wife and I were attending a church, I often felt like uh, people were kind of like afraid of me because they knew that I was studying like at a secular university, you know, and like I would often get asked, like, do you learn about all the religions at Northwestern <laughs> or just Christianity? And it's like, I, you guys, like, what, why, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so that, you know, I, I that's kind of like a, <laughs> a weird way, I guess, of saying that that yeah, it's it's complicated. I'm I'm interested in talking about this stuff. I'm interested in in the philosophical aspects of it. I still do have like some connection to um religion, but I haven't been like deeply involved in Christianity, I don't feel like for um for a number of years. So yeah. yeah. Well, I'll I'll take off from there and say uh for contrast. Um, that my relationship to Christian faith and practice um, is is by comparison, I think probably relatively simple. I think I grew up in an evangelical environment, although I never heard that word spoken. I, I think I remember the first time I ever heard that word was on the news covering George Bush's election, like hmm. 2000, 2001. And, sure. and it sounded like like a foreign entity, and then it, like, it took me years to realize, like, oh no, that's my people. Like that's like that's what they were talking about. Um, uh, so, uh, I I've been in church uh, my whole life, and you know, I um, I'm I teach at a Christian college. Um, I'm I lead the music at at a little church, and I've certainly like had a long road uh, of of trying to work through what you know what the world's actually about and and you know who what god is really like and and how i'm supposed to relate to other people um but like you know i've 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 talked to a handful of people and and more so just seen you know people's twitter feeds over the last few years there's been um a lot of folks that talk about uh, deconstruction who have been <laughs> in an evangelical uh, environment. Yeah. But I never had that experience. Like I, mm-hmm. and I look at it and, and I just think, man, they seem miserable and, and I don't feel like it's looming around the corner. I feel like whatever that process is supposed to accomplish is just happened to me so slowly and gradually and, and untraumatically that like, I just feel like it's been a slow process of just becoming an adult really. And yeah, and just learning mm. to live in my faith in an authentic way. So yeah. So like, I, yeah, I'm a Christian and, and that's, it's pretty easy to talk about that. And, you know, and th- so that's going to shape the way that I listen to these songs. It has from the beginning and like who I am now is different than who I was, you know, 20 ish years ago, whenever totally. I started listening to these, yeah. but, 
Um, but that's still the basic orientation I have to the music. And so when, you know, when there are things that make sense within a very straightforward Christian framework and me without use lyrics, like I feel that in a certain way that feels like very warm and comfortable. And there's, there's things that definitely like as soon, you know, and this is, I'm sure this is everyone's experience. As soon as you feel like you've got them figured out, like you're going <laughs> to have a wrench thrown in the system and you're going to be made uncomfortable. No, and That's nobody's right. exempt. Everybody is right. going to run into something in their right. lyrics that doesn't hit them quite the right way. And so there's those moments for me too. Um, but it never stays there forever. Like the, like the, you know, this music is so dynamic and these words are so dynamic that um, even coming from a pretty straightforward historical Christian orthodoxy mindset to everything, like it's still really, really enriching music to listen to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and so kind of the completely opposite end. Um, <laughs> I was raised in a completely secular household. In fact, the closest thing I came to like a Sunday school sort of experience was instead of, you know, Moses in the, in the, in the reeds for my coloring books, I was, you know, coloring stuff from Hinduism and, and Buddhism, you know, mm -hmm. it, like coloring <laughs> books for kids yeah. of those faiths. Um, <laughs> But I was never taught those as this is the way things are. It was these are useful things for you as you become, Stephen, as you said, an adult, as, as you grow up and start to figure out how you interact with the world. Um, and, I, you know, I, I dabbled with Christianity. It's funny reading all the clever words on pages, feeling almost similar to Aaron in a few ways, because it'd be like, well, all my friends go to church. Maybe I should, too. <laughs> uh, and, you know, going to church a few times and going to one of those churches that, and sorry if any of my friends who went to those churches and didn't feel they were traumatized, but I could definitely see the writing on the wall. Oh mm. boy, this is uh, this is not about the self. This is about the follow exactly what we are telling right. you to do, uh, indoctrination and, and the political side of it, Joel, right. that you were mentioning. Right. So that turned me off, but there was there's always been this inkling of grappling with Faith is one way to put it, but the other, as we were kind of talking about earlier, mm -hmm. that I found very, very valuable. So in the last probably five years, I found myself becoming much more spiritual. I mm. wouldn't say religious because I'm not following any dogmas. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not praying in a particular way. I'm not praying at all, but I'm, I'm thinking about things in a larger than the self and in, in a way that we can't there's not data for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so there's something that we have to engage with and there's something, Joel, you mentioned kind of the, the spiritual filling up that listening to some music that, that specifically Christians talk about like, Oh, my, my, my spirit is full because of listening to this. Right. I think yeah. you can get that from any kind of music or really any kind of content that impacts you deeply. Sure. And that's part of why I've started to engage with things on more of a spiritual level promise not to go on too long of a tangent, but to, to bring Tolkien back into it, like <laughs> that, honestly, it's not like, oh, I believe everything that he wrote about the, his origin stories or whatever is true. It's more the way he's grappling with these ideas, how it impacts me as a person and how it impacts fans as people yeah. and, and Tolkien. And we can get into this kind of people of extreme faith using content that isn't directly about their faith to express and worship, mm -hmm. you know, Sufjan mm -hmm. Stevens comes to mind as oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
as another great example of that. But Tolkien was doing this well. He was writing content that face value doesn't sound like a Christian theology at all, but it actually fits very perfectly from a pre-Christian historical perspective into a Christian Western European world. It, mm-hmm. It's kind of like the prehistory of that world. And mm-hmm. so I just absolutely adore this. And my hope is that I'm changed by this experience. My hope is that mm-hmm. I find not clarity, but comfort in the lack of clarity, because <laughs> that's a that's a, a theme throughout all of Aaron's music, throughout a lot of the music that I listen to is, what the hell am I supposed to be doing here on this, you know, green and blue marble that we call Earth? Kind of, I mean, it, it calls to mind the, you know, Aaron's question: Why not be utterly changed into fire? Dang it, Joel! I, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I, right? I, I feel like, you know, what you're saying there, and and I, I hope the same thing, right? I, I'm really excited, you know, um, to uh, to kind of go on this journey and see what happens, and and bring, you know, people listening to this. Uh, podcast into the conversation and let's all figure this out together right mm-hmm. and and yeah. why not why not allow yourself to be uh to be changed right um yeah, into exactly. something that is uh that is uh both dangerous and useful at the same time right like yeah. fire is right um so yeah no that's that's i love that Thanks, everybody, for listening to this first episode. It was such a a blast to record this first season, and we're really excited for you all to hear uh, more of the conversation as we uh, dig into A to B life. Don't forget uh, to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is really important uh, to help us grow the podcast. And uh, subscribe to the podcast also wherever you are listening. Yeah, absolutely. Be sure to stay in the loop with us on any news about the podcast, events we're doing, new merch drops, things like that, by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Us Without Them Pod. Again, that's at Us Without Them Pod, as well as join the Facebook group, Us Without Them Podcast. You can go ahead and search that and join uh, the listener community where we'll be engaging with you all and uh, keeping the conversation going. We're also on Twitter at Us Without Them. And be sure to share us on those platforms as well. You can also email us any questions or comments directly at uswithoutthempod at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 405-FOXES-05. That is 405-369-3705. Be sure to visit our website, uswithoutthempod.com. There you'll be able to find some episode descriptions, some blog posts expounding deeper on the conversation we were having, and view show notes where we're going to have links to references such as other music we talk about, books, things like that. Bye, everybody. See you next time where we dig into an overview of A to B life. <laughs>